All right, so as already has been mentioned, uh, we do have some fun things that are going to be coming up here in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, remember that we've got our uh, brunch. How many of you, let's just be honest, how many of you came for the brunch? Let's just be here. I mean, let's just thank you for those of you. Who are good. Appreciate that. Uh, we have a brunch today. If you didn't know that, hey, you get a, um, you get a meal. Hey, meal and a message. Pretty good. Pretty good deal, right? Uh, you get a meal. We're going to be um, eating together after our Bible class time. So we conclude our time in here. We'll have uh, about 45 minutes or so of breakup Bible study that we'll have in different classrooms around our facility. Feel free to join one of those, and uh, then we'll be having a brunch uh, together. And then after everybody is eaten, all of our um, kiddos, all those are part of the children's ministry, uh, they're going to be going out and enjoying an Easter egg hunt. Maybe I should have asked this question. How many of you are here today for the Easter egg hunt? Now there's the better question, right? Uh, what? No hand? What? You know, hey, when did you stop being a kid? That's what I want to know, right? When do you get to that age where all of a sudden you're just, a, you're just an old, older person? You know, we're just adults and we don't, we, I want to see adults out with the kids. I want to see adults pushing kids out of the way today to get Easter eggs, all right? I want to see, well, maybe don't go that far, but I want to see excitement. You guys go out there and enjoy and be with the kids. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's appropriate that we're having a meal today. I think because what we're going to talk about here just for a few minutes deals with um, a food issue, a food issue that was taking place among the first century church. And uh, if, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to church, you need to understand something. Christians like to eat all the time. I mean, Christians get together and if there can be any meal or if there can be any reason to have a meal, they will, they will find it. But that's something that you see Especially when you read through uh, the Gospel of Luke and also read through a, a companion uh, letter that he wrote, um, the book of Acts. Because Luke uses the table motif over and over again. If you haven't taken the time just to read Luke and then all through Acts, I encourage you to do so maybe over the next week or two. And what you'll find is that over and over again, Luke will make mention of things that are happening around a table. He'll make mention of individuals who are eating together, how Jesus oftentimes is going to be teaching at table, how he is going to be ministering at table. And you see that in Jesus' life. And then as Luke transitions in his writing to talk about the early followers of Jesus, he will show how that they too are not only listening to the things that the apostles are teaching and putting those things into practice, but they are spending time in one another's homes. They are sharing meals together. And it is a very important thing that is taking place in their midst. Food. Important stuff. Unless you don't have any. If you don't have any, all of a sudden things get a little bit difficult, especially when you look around and see that there are others who have and you do not have. When you look around and realize, hey, there, there are others that are being fed, but, but there are some who are not. Think about this. How would this look today? If after Bible class and we all go into our family life center and the, the brunch is put out and, and you're right, uh, Sean, man, it smells like bacon. I mean, our, our whole place is just smelling like bacon on that other side over there. And, and you go in and you smell the bacon and you're looking forward to this meal. And, and then there is a sign that is put up, though, as you get to the table and as you get ready to take your plate. And the sign says that 
only those people who have been at East Brainerd over a year can eat. Or the sign says, English speakers first. Or the sign says, whites only. Or or the sign says, Boy Buchanan students and their families first. What if that happened? Would that cause any trouble with anybody if you were to get down there and there was this list of signs and you realized, wait a minute, not everybody is welcome here. Not everybody is welcome to eat here. And how would you feel if it looked as if others didn't care? If others were just getting in line because their name was not on the sign, it didn't apply to them. And so they're, they're picking up their, their plate and they're just walking in and they're getting the eggs and, and they're getting the bacon. And they're not even thinking about you. And there you are looking at the sign going, no, I've just come within the last year. No, my, my kids, uh, I homeschool my kids or, or I'm not the right color. I don't speak the right language. And yet it doesn't seem that anybody cares. Last week we talked about the church's response to those who were on the outside and, and who could be in. This week we need to look at what happens once you are in. More specifically, here's the question that we're going to address. Does the church play favorites? Does the church play favorites? That was a question that was brought to the apostles. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. And this question comes up because there was a brunch. And this brunch wasn't just something that took place once upon a Sunday. This was something that was going on each and every day as the church was taking care of its own. The church was looking after those who were part of this new movement, this new way as it was being called. And those who were poor, specifically those who were the widows, were being cared for with a daily allowance. There was, there was money, there was food, there was clothing. The church was making sure that those who were the least among them were being taken care of. At least so it seemed. Acts chapter 6 beginning there at the very start of the chapter. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now those Greek-speaking believers, those were... Jews who had come to faith in Christ, but they had not grown up from in Jerusalem, in Palestine. They had a different accent. They talked in a different way. They were from a different part of of the world. They were Jewish. They were now Christian, but they were Greek speakers. And also there in the church, you had those who spoke Hebrew. You had those who were Christian, who were followers of Jesus, who though by, by birth, maybe some who had um, even grown up 
spending all of their time in the teachings of Torah. You had these people who only knew the Hebrew thought, only knew the Hebrew God, and they felt as if perhaps they were the true holders of the flame. They were Hebrews. And apparently, as the widows were being cared for, and as the food was being distributed, and as the money was being given out, somehow it started happening that those widows who were not Hebrew by descent, those widows who did not grow up in Jerusalem, those widows whose families came from outside, well, they were being skipped over. The Meals on Wheels would pull up to the house next to them, but not to their house. They were not getting what was going to the widows of the Hebrews. And so you can see why all of a sudden there is this grumbling that's going on as you're realizing, wait a minute, why are certain people getting to eat and certain people are not? Why are they taking care of his grandma, but they're not taking care of my Nana? Because, hey, we all know that, hey, we take it personal when it comes to our Nanas, right? I mean, we take it personal when it comes to our Nanas, and all of a sudden you've got one group of Nanas, they're not being taken care of, and one group are. And so they go the apostles and it says that the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and this is key I want you to see this because this wasn't just some small situation this had the potential of tearing apart the movement before it really even got off its feet and so the disciples all are brought together the apostles say I want all the believers Let's get everybody. Let's get everybody. We've got to talk about this. We've got to make sure that everybody understands. We've got to make sure that everybody understands the seriousness of this situation. And folks, we also need to understand that what could have destroyed the movement then can still destroy the movement today. Amen. It can. And in some places, it has. In some places it has. For there have been times where we have decided that it is okay to play favorites in church. That if you went to the right school, if you went to the right college, if you have the right background, if you have the right pedigree, then there is a special place for you, but others, well, not so much. If you speak the right language, if you are the majority color, then there's a special place. Come sit on the couch. But others, the same thing that happened then, the potential could happen even today. And it's something that churches have to be aware of. And it's something that churches have to guard against. Where the community of the believers began to understand, as we looked earlier from the writings of James, and realize that there is no favoritism in church. There's no favoritism. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter who you are. Because all are one in Christ Jesus. And so they call them together. And say, here's what we're going to do. We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God. Not running a food ministry basically is what is what they say. 
He says, but we want you to select seven men who are well-respected, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and we will give them this responsibility. And then we as apostles will spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. The apostles recognize, listen, this is a, this is a big issue. This is a big issue. And they also understood, though, that they themselves could not take care of every single issue that came up within the church. They understood that, listen, we are out here and we're trying, we're trying to set the vision. And we're here out here, we're trying to pray, and we're trying to get the word out, we're trying to keep this movement going. But there are some things that are happening in the background that are causing us to slow down. There are things that are happening on the periphery that are causing us not to have the impact that we need. They said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get even more people involved in this. We're going to get more eyes on this. We're going to get more hands on this to make sure that these kind of things don't happen anymore and that everyone is able to feel a part. So he said, all right, you guys go and I want you to pick seven that you know are filled with spirit, filled with wisdom, and we're going to give them this responsibility and they are going to be held accountable and they're going to make sure that all things are equal. You continue reading in the text and you find where the believers did just what they were asked to do. And they pick out seven different individuals. The names that are picked, very interesting, because all the names listed there are Greek names. Now why do you think that would be important? Because who is it that's being neglected? The Greek-speaking widows, right? They went and chose people who were passionate about their memos. They went and chose people who had a heart for those people who were being neglected, who would make sure, hey, my Nana is going to get her food. Do you see the wisdom in that? Do you see the wisdom of, of getting individuals who have passion for something that they recognize is an injustice? When it comes to ministry, when it comes to making sure that people are, are cared for and that things are, things are done, you've probably already seen this in other areas of your life, but you can accomplish so much more with one person filled with passion than 10 people who are just there to do a job, right? And so they find individuals who are going to be passionate, who are going to be excited, who are going to make sure that these widows are being taken care of. So they are brought to the apostles. The apostles pray for them. They lay their hands on them. And it says there in verse 7 that God's message continued to spread. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. You see, this had the potential of stopping everything in its tracks. This had the potential of halting all that was going on and all that was taking place. But because of the choice that was made and because of the way in which the church responded to this situation, now again, momentum increases and people again are hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ and the church continues to grow and grow and have impact after impact after impact. Do you realize that one of the most important things that, that, that we do here in order to keep things going is the ministries that we have 
for one another. The ministries that we have here as a church that that help to minister to the spiritual and the physical needs of the body so that we can be focused on where the focus needs to be. So that we can be built up and so that others can see, you know what, those people there, they really care for people. And they, in, they include people. And they make sure that theirs are taken care of. And their eyes are also on those who are not even in their midst wanting to share that same compassion. Over the years, the church here at East Brainerd has signaled out and specified specific ministry points of emphasis. Where we have said as a church, these are areas that we want to focus in. These are things that we recognize that are lacking. These are areas that we feel like can benefit our church body. And as our body continues to grow, there develops the need of, okay, how are we going to accomplish some of these things that are on the periphery? Some of these things that are in the background that if they are not done, that if they're not taken care of, can end up causing us roadblocks, can end up slowing us down. And so over the years, we have tasked different men to serve as deacons of our congregation. Individuals who would be accountable and responsible to the congregation for various acts of service to the congregation and even outside the walls. A few months ago, we came to you and said, we have a a new ministry system that we are going to be putting together, and, and that ministry system is going to necessitate the need of more individuals to serve as deacons. And so our elders said, we want you to choose from among you. We want you to choose from among yourselves men of wisdom filled with the Spirit of God, and we will task them with different opportunities with different responsibilities and so many of you prayed over this and you considered this diligently. You spoke to others who were in the congregation and you gave many names to our elders of individuals that you said this is an individual who with passion can serve this congregation in order that we might be able to continue to move forward. And what I have been asked by the elders to do this morning is to bring to you a list of names of individuals whom you have said we would we 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 desire for these people to to serve and to and to help lead us in these ministries and these are individuals who have said that they are that they are willing to do so. And I want to let you know who these individuals are today and the roles that they are going to be uh, pursuing and how they are going to be impacting the congregation and our, and our community. As I read out these names, I want you to notice that they are going to be individuals who are listed here who are Hispanic. There are going to be individuals who are listed here who are black. Individuals who are listed here who are white. Individuals that come from all different backgrounds, all different uh, socioeconomic places, okay? That there was no distinction made as you look at these different men and say, there are some that we want on the couch and there are others that we want in the back. We wanted individuals of service. We wanted individuals filled with wisdom and the Spirit. Joining our children's uh, ministry is going to be Adam Martinez. I'm not for sure if Adam is, is with us today. I know he and his family are normally uh, down here in the, in the front. Uh, you've seen him up many times uh, leading us in, in different ways uh, during our worship. Adam Martinez is going to be joining our children's ministry. Uh, community outreach, 
George McCleskey, Nathan Brown, and Alberto Paxter. Um, if you would, please, please stand as I call your name if you are here so the congregation can see, see who you are. Uh, helping uh, with our facilities is going to be Bruce Cowan. With our fellowship ministry is Will Brewer. In our finance ministry, Tim McPherson. In foreign evangelism, Bill Sampson. In involvement, Rick May, Marco Diaz Jr., Bob Etheridge. In membership, Ray Russell. In technology, Joe Delk. In worship, Craig Phillips and Ovid McNatt. In youth, Brad Moore and Brett Waldrop. And in college, Chris Marshall and Chris Marcus. Now, one more time, if I called your name, if you would just stand up, please, together. Just stand up and just remain standing uh, for, for, just, for just a moment. Um, and as a congregation, uh, what I would like to uh, do at this time is to uh, have, have prayer for these men. And I would like to ask you as a congregation over the next couple of weeks to be in prayer for them and for their ministry. And the plan is for them to be able to begin uh, working in this responsibility at the first of the new month, which is coming in, in April. Let's have a prayer together. Father, we thank you for the opportunities of service that we have, the opportunities to minister. And there are so many things within our congregation that, that people don't even realize, that we, we don't realize have to be taken care of. There are so many individuals that have different, different needs, and so I'm grateful that, that we have the ministries that we do so that we might be able to serve, that we might be able to share the good news of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for uh, these men and for their willingness, for the lives that they have lived and that others have looked at them and said, this is someone who we would like, who we need spearheading the ministries here at East Brainerd. And I pray as a congregation that we would continue to hold these men up and their families, that we would continue to serve alongside of them, that we would continue to watch as they are guiding us in these different ministry pursuits. And Father, may we all wear ourselves out in outdoing one another in acts of love and kindness and compassion. Father, we thank you for the way that you have continued to bless this church. We ask for your future blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. And you need to know that these men, the elders, have reached out to them and have talked with them about these different ministry areas because just like there in the first century, the elders have, have looked for individuals who would have a passion or have an aptitude even for these different areas that they are going to be involved in as they are going to come alongside others who are currently serving as deacons or different ministry leaders because just as the group in Acts chapter 6 were not tasked to this responsibility by themselves, these gentlemen that you just saw stand up are not going to be alone in their own individual ministry. They are joining ministry teams that, are, that function in groups of 10, 12 that are made up of various men and women a part of this congregation. These deacons though, those individuals who are serving as the role of deacon are tasked with the responsibility by the elders and being held accountable to make sure that these different ministries function and that these different ministries thrive and that no one is left behind. 
and that no one is excluded and that no one is overlooked, that all are able to be served and to be able to be included in acts of service. And so I'm grateful for these men. I thank you for your decision and for your willingness to serve, to serve in this way. One more thing I want to say about um, our text, and we will close everything out uh, this morning. I read earlier from James chapter 2 where it says, my brothers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot play favorites, right? I mean, how can you say that you're, um, how can you say that you're in Christ if you are putting up some people over, over others? How can you do that? Well, hopefully, when this crisis happened in, in, in Acts, hopefully what you see as you read that is that you get the picture that you have a people who were passionate about making sure that people were not left behind and that it didn't happen that favorites were chosen within the family. That didn't matter if you spoke Greek or it didn't matter if you spoke Hebrew. It didn't matter your age. It didn't matter what you wore. It didn't matter any of those, of those things. And I don't know, I, 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 can't, there's, I can't look and say in the text that this is exactly what was going through the apostle's mind. But I do know that the Jewish people had oftentimes run up against the will of God in that the Jewish people had been prone to playing favorites as they were, were going through their, their existence. And, and I want to just show you something that is in your Old Testament. It's in, it's in the book of Isaiah. And I want to show this to you because I think it speaks to the heart of what was happening in Acts chapter 6. And I think it also speaks to the heart of, of what we do not want to take place here within our congregation ever going forward. Isaiah is a prophet that, I mean, he is, he is hot when he pours out the message of the Lord. And, and he opens up his, his letter in chapter 1 and, and, and he's speaking for God and God's saying, you know what, I'm getting sick and tired of your, of your festivals and all of the feasts that you're having and all the things that are taking place. He said, all this worship activity you're going through, I'm sick and tired of it. And you read why and it, he talks about the reason is, well, the, they weren't looking out for the oppressed. They weren't taking care of the orphans. They weren't taking care of the widows. All of a sudden, does that kind of ring a bell, right? And so that's how he begins in chapter 1. And when we get over to near the end of the book, in Isaiah 58, he is still talking to Israel about why it is that God is not listening and that God is not blessing. And I mentioned earlier that this can be a source of a barrier if there is favoritism within the body. And I want you to see what takes place here. This is Isaiah 58. It says in verse 1, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves. We've humbled ourselves and you don't even notice it. Do you understand what they're saying? They're saying, God, we come to church all the time. 
And we pray and we take the Lord's Supper and we sing and we preach and we do all the things that good church people are supposed to do. And this is the response of the Lord. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord. He says, I see the motions you're going through, and I see your actions, and yet the way that you're living with one another, the way you're living with one another is atrocious. The way that you're interacting with those in your midst, it's sinful. He says, this is the fast that I want, verse 6. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Hello. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call on the Lord, he will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. He says, listen, look at the way that you're treating other people. Look at the way that you're handling those in your midst. The way that you are taking care or not taking care of the poor. The way that you are having people still be oppressed in your midst. And folks, if we are not careful, we can create churches that have a caste system. Where we have certain people who are more spiritual than others, certain individuals who are more welcome than others, and oftentimes we make those decisions based upon the jobs that people have, based upon the schooling that they've gone through, based upon the way in which they speak, the way in which they dress, the way in which they look, what their age is. And the message of the Lord comes to his people and says, listen, you can worship all you want to, but instill, until you start treating people with compassion, until you start treating people with love, and until you start accepting those who are in your midst who are not like you, the blessing will not come. And so he continues. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the desert ruins of the city, the foundations of the city. It says you will be known or you will be called as rebuilder of walls. This is, he's writing to people who are, have been taken over by another nation. He says you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to come back to Jerusalem and you're going to have this opportunity to be a rebuilder of the things that sin has broken down. This is what you're going to be called, a rebuilder of walls. In church, you need to know something. That we have an opportunity to have a, the name of Jesus spread throughout this community and to have this place be a beacon and to be called rebuilder, restorer, 
of people, of families, of towns. Say, what is the East Brainerd Church of Christ known for? What is the East Brainerd Church of Christ known for more than than anything else? What are we going to be called? Well, that church is going to be that church is going to be up to you. How we are known, what we are called. But you need to know that favoritism is unchristian. Favoritism is unchristian. Cannot play favorites. You cannot say, I, I prefer this group more, more than the other. It does not matter if you go to public school or private school. It doesn't matter if your kids are homeschooled. Our youth ministry says, you know what? If you're a youth, we want you. And we want your families. We want you to be a part here. And it doesn't matter if you are from this country or from another country. It doesn't matter if you speak English or if you speak Spanish or anything else in between. It doesn't matter if you are black or if you are white or any other combination of the two. We want you here. Because favoritism is unchristian and it will not be practiced in this place. And it's also just unreasonable. You understand that, right? I mean, it's just unreasonable to to play favorites. James, again, talks about this. I encourage you to go and read James chapter 2. It's got some great things in there that that discuss this whole idea. I mean, when you play favorites, you think that you're you're getting something good for yourself, and then it ends up just coming back to, to hurt you. But here's the main thing, and we'll close with this. Guys, favoritism is just unloving. It's just unloving. He says, if you really keep the royal law that's found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Now, we don't always know how to love unconditionally. I wish we did. Most of us are like this poem. Paul's girl is rich and haughty. My girl is poor as clay. Paul's girl is young and pretty. Mine looks like a bale of hay. Paul's girl is smart and clever. My girl is dumb but good. Would I trade my girl for Paul's? You bet your life I would. That's how we live our life sometimes. That's how we go about things. But favoritism is just unloving. But when you have a church that loves, and when you have a church where there is no favoritism, just as happened in Acts chapter 6, the message of the Lord spreads and more and more people come to the faith and we become known as the builder of walls, rebuilder of those things that were broken down, the rebuilder, the restorer of those things that sin has separated. So church, I hope that you will be enjoying the meal here in just a few minutes. I hope that you will be sitting with people that maybe you've never met before. And I hope that you will never be the individual that says, I deserve a place better than someone else. Because we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Mason is going to come lead us again in a song to sing together. We encourage you to respond if you choose to, whether it be confessing that, you know what, you've played favorites and you've, you've had a caste system and you've thought that there were some who belonged and some who didn't. We want to give you the opportunity to respond saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and because of the love that I've experienced in this place, I, I want to be baptized to have my sins washed away. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. Whatever your need is, we encourage you to come and be a part of the body of Christ. Christ here at East Brainerd as we stand and sing.